0: Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance.
1: You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that the small intestine is mightier than we thought. There's a new study out that challenges our assumptions about how your body actually uses fructose looks like your small intestine, not your liver, is the first step in processing fructose. And to use fructose, which comes in fruit or high-fructose corn syrup or something, your body has to convert it into glucose or other smaller molecules. And we knew that fructose could be metabolized in your liver and your small intestine, but we always thought it was mostly about the liver. The new mouse study says that moderate doses of fructose, like you might find it in honey even, it's transformed in the small intestine and that the liver only steps in when the small intestine is overwhelmed with fructose so it seems that the small intestine might be your captain america's shield so if you have say a piece of fruit after dinner which is something that i would recommend on the bulletproof diet if you're not going on a full keto part of it that you're doing okay but if you have a huge crazy amount of fructose you're definitely going to jack up your liver it turns out that fructose is tied to fatty liver disease, gout, type 2 diabetes, obesity, and all sorts of other bad things. You don't wanna have more than probably 20, 25 grams of fructose in a day at max. And if you're looking to be full keto, uh, you'd wanna have much less than that. And that study was published in Cell Metabolism if you're a geek and you wanna find it. Before we get into today's show, what if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. I don't know if you know about the Bulletproof cacao butter. This is something you'll find on bulletproof.com. And this is something that I've really enjoyed because... It turns out that where your chocolate comes from and how it's created determine how it's gonna make you feel. And what we found is that 80% of South American chocolate sampled recently in a third-party study had mold contamination in it, and that's because about 64% of the microbes used to ferment chocolate create mycotoxins. And those toxins, even at levels that are safe for commodities, can contribute to you not feeling great, but they're not gonna kill you, so they're considered safe because they're economically feasible. The upgraded cacao butter is made using an optimized process to create chocolate without those toxins, and it's lab tested so that you're getting a much cleaner chocolate. What you do is you take a little bit of cacao butter and you toss it in your Bulletproof coffee, and it adds this amazing chocolate finish to it. And chocolate or cacao butter, which is just the, the fat from chocolate, is unique because it melts at the same temperature as your body. So when you put it in your mouth, it's solid. And as it warms up in your mouth, it melts and it just has that amazing chocolatey taste, but without the strong chocolate up front. So it's really cool to just blend like even a teaspoon or two into your Bulletproof coffee just to feel like it's not a mocha. What is that? Well, it's delicious. That's what it is. It's called Upgraded Cacao Butter. It's at Bulletproof.com. Today's guest is Dr. Tom O'Brien. And he's an internationally recognized speaker about wheat, its impact on health and autoimmune diseases in general. He practices functional medicine and looks at these chronic diseases and metabolic disorders. And this is relevant to you because there are a huge number of us listening right now who have a little bit of chronic disease or metabolic disorder, but you don't feel it until it really, really hits you years later. There's a huge number of people walking around today going, I feel really good, I'm doing well, but they've got the markers that like a little fire is smoldering. And if you want to remain high performing, uh, long into your old age, or you want to maybe join me on my quest to live to at least 180 years old, you need to stop this stuff before it becomes, oh, look, I've got an extra 20 pounds, my liver is fatty, and my life sucks. So I invited Tom on the show today to talk about well, what's going on in this thing? He just did a docuseries called Betrayal, the Autoimmune Disease Solution, and just came out with a book called The Autoimmune Fix. So you want to know if you have this going on, and more likely someone in your life has it going on, and what the early signs are, and what you can do to stay strong for a very long time. Tom, welcome to the show.
2: Oh, thanks, Dave. Thanks, it's a pleasure to be with you.
1: Now, as a a functional medicine practitioner, you're always looking at root causes of dysfunction in the body, And you look at it as a system, uh, the same way that I do. And what made you get into looking at the body as a system instead of uh, what a lot of medical practitioners do, which is sort of, you know, well, this is a liver, this is a kidney. They don't really have that much in common.
2: Well, it started uh, before I actually even got into my internship that my wife and I could not get pregnant. And I called the seven most famous holistic doctors that I'd ever heard of at that point. This was 19... 79. And um, I was able to reach all of them. And I asked them, what do you do for infertility? And they would say, would you know what a category one is? And I'd say, no. And they say, learn. Okay. Okay. I'd write it down. (laughs) And I wrote down um, the notes talking to these seven doctors. And I put a program together and we were pregnant in six weeks. My neighbors in married housing heard about this. We lived on campus at the time. And They'd been through artificial insemination, nothing had worked for them. And they asked if I'd work with them. And I'd say, well, I don't really, sh- sure, why not? She was pregnant in three months. So before I got into practice, we had people coming to us because we were telling our friends, we were so excited that we were pregnant and uh, moving forward. And we tell you know, our, our friends and they tell their sister in Wisconsin. And I went to school in Chicago and and so someone, the sister, would drive down from Wisconsin and come to our our dorm room, you know, living on campus, and, <laughs> and, and I was treating them. And I, I was called into the president's office one day, and he's, uh, he said, Dr. Tom, rumor has it that physiological therapeutics are being administered on this campus outside the confines of the clinic. And I said, Dr. Jancy, no he said, we must be cognizant of the laws and regulations. I fully understand. Thank you, sir. And I kept doing what I was doing. I just kept going because, you know, I have this passion to share with the world. And we opened our practice and with an emphasis on hormone imbalances and infertility. And what I discovered very early in practice is that the symptoms are never the system that you treat, except for temporary relief, that you have to look at Where are the symptoms coming from? And uh, I'll give you an analogy of this. I kind of like this analogy. When you go to the doctor with symptoms, irrespective of what they are, it's kind of like you've fallen over a waterfall into the pond below, you know, and you swim up to the surface and you (laughs) spit out the water, right? And, And you're trying to stay afloat in the pond of blood sugar problems or diabetes, or in the pond of recurrent miscarriages, or in the pond of chronic fatigue. Whatever the pond is that you're stuck in, you're trying to stay afloat. And everyone's looking for a life jacket to stay afloat in the pond of their symptoms. And that's important. But once you've got a life jacket on, and you're okay, you're stable at the moment, you have to swim over to the side of the pond, get out of the water, walk up the hill, Go back upstream to figure out what the heck fell in the river that eventually took you downstream and falling over the waterfall. That's functional medicine is what is it that's going on way back there that that has triggered or is fueling whatever the symptoms are that you have going on right now.
1: It's funny that you started with fertility because all animals, you know, single celled organisms all the way up, you know, plants, humans. The the number one thing we're going to do is, is respond to an immediate threat. Uh, number two thing we're going to do is make sure we don't starve to death. Number three thing we're going to do is make sure that the species reproduces because like the, these are our core drives. Yes. And I had the same effect, the same thing. Uh, my wife, uh, Dr. Lana, was uh, was infertile when I met her, and you know, we put together what became my very first book, the Better Baby Book, uh, that that was published by Wiley and Sons. And it turns out 1,300 references in, like, yeah, let's turn down inflammation in the body, and autoimmunity is a part of it. And here you were doing that, you know, 25 years earlier. It, we have a, and we'll just call it an, an epidemic of IVF, where in vitro fertilization can absolutely help you have a child when you'd otherwise be unable to do it. But before you do that, you might want to just consider getting your house in order because that's what Lana's doing with her. You know, her clients are usually like you know, CEOs and Hollywood people now. And it's amazing what happens when you take people who can't even succeed with IVF, you get rid of their autoimmune problems, get rid of their inflammation, and then all of a sudden, they're getting pregnant. And it's exactly right. it's it's really satisfying to know this core thing that's so important to so many of us, it can be done, and inflammation is at the root of it, and oftentimes what you're putting in your mouth is part of it. Well, here's a
2: heads up. This is This right. is a heads up for all the guys out there. They did a meta-analysis that was published last year. A meta-analysis is when you look at a number of studies on one subject. And it was 186 studies that they looked at. And the subject was sperm count in healthy men. Oh, yeah. Between 1974 and 2011. So 37 years. Has there been a change in sperm count in healthy men, not infertile men, in healthy men in the last 37 years? The consensus statement was there's a 59% reduction in sperm count in healthy men. Now, what that means, scientists worry about extinction of a species at 72% reduction in sperm count. We're at 59% in 37 years. What the heck do you think is going to happen in the next 15 to 20 years?
1: (laughs) I, I can tell you, I am not, after I did the research for the Better Baby book, uh, I am not at all worried about a global population problem. Uh, we we are solving that ourselves. Because <laughs> right. if you look at this over the course of the next you know 100 and, 150 or so, at least years, I'm going to be around, we are not going to be having babies as easily as we do now unless we do something about it. And it starts with our soil, and it ends in our guts and in our bodies. And I, I like it that you're talking about this in your work. Um, talk about uh, what what's going on with autoimmunity. Is autoimmunity on the rise as well? You know, it,
2: uh, it's so on the rise in the last 30 to 40 years. And what most people and even doctors don't put together is that we think the number one cause of getting sick and dying, morbidity and mortality, is cardiovascular disease. Well, every doctor knows or should remember from their studies that cardiovascular disease, the plugging up of your pipes, atherosclerosis, is immune-driven it's an autoimmune mechanism. So this topic of autoimmunity really becomes a primary concern for all of us, but we've never looked at it that way. So once we understand this, that this is prevalent in almost all of us, that it's an autoimmune mechanism, meaning your immune system attacking your own tissue, whether it's your blood vessels or components in your blood vessels, the fatty membranes of the blood vessels, or it's your brain, or your joints, or whatever it is, when your immune system is attacking your own tissue, that goes on for years. It's called the spectrum of autoimmunity. It goes on for years before you ever have a symptom. I'll give you an example, because this study was a paradigm shift for me back in 2003. Dr. Melissa Arbuckle, an MD, PhD, She went to the VA and she looked for people with lupus, the autoimmune disease lupus. And she found 132 people in this one VA center that were being treated for a diagnosis of lupus. Now, if they're being treated in a VA center, they're veterans. If they're veterans, they were in the armed forces. If they were in the armed forces, they had their blood drawn many times over the years when they were healthy in the Navy, in the Air Force, Marines, And what most people don't know is that the government has been saving and freezing most of that blood since 1978. They've got tens of millions of samples of our
1: service people's blood. So Dr. Arbuckle- Hold on a second. Uh, Does this mean that vampires run the military?
2: Well, you know, that's a really good question, Dave. I really don't know why they're doing this,
1: but they're doing it. (laughs) No, it's awesome they're doing it. So keep going. I love this study, by the way. Thanks for talking about it.
2: Yeah, yeah. So- Uh, uh, Dr. Arbuckle knew this and she asked for permission to look at the blood of the currently diagnosed autoimmune patients with lupus when they were healthy in the Navy or in the Coast Guard or the Army. She got permission and what did she find? There are seven antibodies to lupus and all seven antibodies were elevated years and years before there were ever any symptoms. Years. Now, why do you have antibodies to your own tissue? If you get a blood test done for a physical, they look for antibodies to your thyroid, comes back and says you're normal, you know, you're in the normal reference range of antibodies to your thyroid. Why do we ever have any antibodies to our own tissue? It's how we survive. That Mrs. Patient, you have an entire new body every seven years, Some cells reproduce really quickly, like the inside lining of your gut, every three to five days, depending on what study you read. And some cells are really slow, like your bone cells. But every seven years, you have an entire new body. How does that happen? Your immune system has to get rid of the old and damaged cells. Antibodies go after the old and damaged cells to make room for new cells to grow and develop. So there's always a normal reference range for antibodies to your thyroid and your liver and your brain and your nerves and your skin. There's a normal reference range. But when you have elevated antibodies on a blood test, it means you're killing off more cells than you're making. And this goes on, it's called the prodromal period, meaning before symptoms. This goes on for years, depending on what autoimmune mechanism you have determines how many years, but it goes on for years, killing off tissue, killing off tissue, killing off tissue, until one day, you cross the magic line, you've lost enough tissue, now you start having some vague symptoms of thyroid dysfunction or joint dysfunction, some stiffness in the mornings, and it keeps getting worse over the months and over the years, and finally you go to a doctor, and the average is you go to three and a half doctors to get the right diagnosis, and it takes between three and five years to get the right diagnosis after the symptoms begin, because they're so subtle and they're so diffused. You're just killing off enough to get some symptoms. Then you finally get a diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or Hashimoto's thyroid disease. And when you finally get the diagnosis, now you're put on drugs to deal with the symptoms of lupus or Hashimoto's. A thyroid disease or MS. And of course you want the life jacket to deal with the symptoms. Of course you do. But you have to go back upstream and figure out what the heck fell in the river that triggered this whole mechanism of killing off more cells than you're making. That is the autoimmune fix. That's what the whole message behind betrayal is. We've had over 500,000 people that watch betrayal and it's all free. You know, and when you watch this, you go, oh, my God, this just makes perfect sense. Because we interviewed the scientists. We, we interviewed the world leaders in autoimmune diseases and then interviewed the clinicians, our friend Mark Hyman and many others who were applying the principles of these scientists. And then we interviewed the patients of those clinicians who were showing, look, I used to have eight lesions on my brain with MS and I couldn't walk. Two years later, there's only one lesion left and I have no symptoms. So we show that when you go back upstream and figure out what the heck is going on for you personally, there's no magic pill to fix Hashimoto's or lupus or rheumatoid arthritis or psoriasis. There's no magic pill. You have to figure out why this is happening to your body. That's the reason why everyone needs to understand as a consumer What is autoimmunity and where am I on the autoimmune spectrum?
1: What percentage of people
2: have autoimmunity going on right now? Clinically, when you do the right tests, you will find somewhere between six to seven out of every 10 patients to come into your office, when you do the right testing, have elevated antibodies to their own tissue. Six to seven out of 10. That's how frequent it is.
1: That's why I wanted to do this episode. So if you've been listening so far going, oh, this probably doesn't apply to me. Look, 60, 70%. And I found some research I'm doing for my next book, which is not about autoimmunity at all. It's more about human performance. But part of that research was I, I found a study where they're they're using a very conservative marker or measure of autoimmunity. And they're saying, well, 20% of people have it, but it's growing annually at 20%. Yes. And these are using... Uh, basically full-on symptoms and what tom and i are talking about here is this whole other perspective that says what if uh, we were able to get this right when it starts and i care a lot about this i had arthritis in my knees when i was 14 tom i think we talked about that and i had hashimoto's and all these other things and the more you control it the longer you're going to live and the better you're going to perform in the meantime which is why uh, this episode is just it's so important
2: Dave, you brought up a really important concept there. In the study you're referring to, I'm assuming it's ANA antibodies. I'm assuming. Uh, I believe I believe so. Yeah. Now, ANA antibodies mean anti-nuclear antibodies, meaning the antibodies are attacking the nucleus in your cells. And there are many different diseases that can manifest when you're attacking the nucleus in your cells. So the question is, why is my body attacking the nucleus inside my cells? And the answer is, there's more than one answer, but the majority answer, it's the environmental toxins that are accumulating in your body. The bisphenol A, the mercury, all all of the crud that we're exposed to every day, that minute amounts, it's not a big deal, but it accumulates and accumulates and accumulates until you cross a threshold. When you cross the threshold, your immune system says, that's it, no more. And your immune system starts attacking to go after that.
1: It doesn't. It doesn't just accumulate, uh, which is which is a big issue. It also cross-reacts. Exactly, and exactly. One of the things that just drives me nuts, I've looked a lot at the what mold toxins. These are toxins that we didn't introduce into the environment. They're ones made by Mother Nature that cause autoimmunity. And they'll say, oh, the level of this one's safe. But, oh, if you put it next to this other safe level of another one, Uh, they cross-react with each other. And then these two safe levels together are not safe at all. And then you stack that with mercury and you stack that with these other things that are the coatings and whole grains and all. And what you get is people who will do these short-sighted studies, oh, eat a lot of whole grains because over the course of 90 days, it lowers cholesterol or some other kind of relatively meaningless thing. Uh, But then over the course of 20 years, you're really not going to like your life. Right, And it it's that short-term versus long-term study thing and this idea that medicine wants to study a single thing. What does that toxin do? But we don't live in a world with that toxin. We live in a world of an environment with millions of variables that change every second, and your body measures them and reacts to them. All the time. And and that's what we're getting to. Exactly. so, So... What are the biggest triggers? You mentioned mercury, you mentioned bisphenol A, uh, I'm assuming glyphosate is in there. What are the other big toxins that are actually causing these multi-decade things that you can detect now that aren't going to hit you for 20 years?
2: For the vast majority of people, the most common source of toxins that trigger your immune system eventually to protect you is what's on the end of your fork.
1: (laughs) Amen, brother. That's
2: it. Sorry, guys. You know, it's what you choose. Well, I can have a little of this once in a while.
1: No, you can't. You can't fool your immune system. What What about your macros? Like, what What, what about your calorie counting? Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, historically, there was some validity to thinking that way. But as science improves, we hope that the scientific mind also improves,
1: right? Right. <laughs> In a Bulletproof diet, I'm like, first step one, stop doing the stuff that makes you weak. And the stuff that pisses off your immune system makes you weak. And then eat the foods that are full of energy and flavor and stuff like that. But I think a lot of us have just gone down this path of food is fuel. It's, no, food is actually toxins and fuel yeah. and nutrients. Yeah. And if you look and you ignore the toxins, and you look only at energy, and you look only at nutrients, you're missing it. And, and so that's why this autoimmune perspective that you've got is so important. Uh, l- let's zoom in on grains. Like like, talk with me about the differences between a wheat allergy, gluten sensitivity, gluten intolerance, celiac disease. Sure. I get all these yahoos out there saying, well only 2% of us have celiac, therefore we should all have like gluten smoothies. Right. Uh, what's the deal <laughs> with
2: Right, sure. Um, So let's break down the different categories of problems to wheat. The first one, the most common that we're familiar with is when a doctor does pinprick tests on your back to see if there are some foods you're sensitive to. And wheat is one of those foods that can come up. If you have a reaction there, that's called an allergy because it stimulates an, an immune reaction called IgE. I, there are five different immunoglobulins. IgE is the one that's related to allergies, and that's histamine responses. Do you want to know if you have too much histamine? A simple test to look to see if you have too much histamine right now, when you have excess amounts of histamine, you're red. You're red. Meaning, do you have red cheeks? Well, I've always had red cheeks. You've always been inflamed, you know, that there's some trigger you have for excess histamine. The test for that. Just pull your shirt up and just scratch your tummy, not hard where you're tearing skin, but just scratch it like a modest little stimulating scratch, three times, one, two, three. Wait 15 to 30 seconds and look to see if you can see the the scratch marks. If they come out as red streaks, that's excess histamine. That's suggestive of excess histamine. It means there's something in your body that your body's producing histamine because something you're putting in there is triggering an immune reaction.
1: Tom, I'm, I'm trying to do this, but my, my abs are just so rock hard. I'm really having a hard time with it. <laughs> just a minute, I'm going to pull
2: out my violin <laughs> to play it for you, Dave. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. <laughs> so uh, allergy, wheat allergies are the one that most people are familiar with. With wheat, the second most common one, because of the science, there's over 20,000 studies, literally 20,000 studies on celiac disease. And celiac disease is when you have a sensitivity to wheat and it manifests as chewing up your gut. And uh, when your gut gets all chewed up, there can be a lot of different manifestations. For every one person with gut symptoms with celiac, there are seven that don't have gut symptoms. They've got brain symptoms or skin symptoms or some other symptoms, but their symptoms are because their gut's being chewed up and because of nutrient insufficiencies and systemic inflammation and other reasons. But celiac disease is when your gut's being chewed up from a sensitivity to wheat. The third category is non-celiac wheat sensitivity, and that's the big kahuna picture. Non-celiac wheat sensitivity can manifest as brain dysfunction, Uh, autoimmune brain disease, um, skin disease, joint disease. There's no tissue in the body that might not be affected by a sensitivity to wheat. I'll give you an example. In the the presentations I do to medical groups, I often start with this study. A a three-and-a-half-year-old girl, that um, she was diagnosed with celiac disease. She had lots of gut problems. So um, they, they did an endoscopy. That's where they put her under a general anesthetic. And they put a tube down her throat to look at her stomach and look, look in her intestines and snip out a little piece of the intestines to look at under a microscope. And they found out, yeah, she's got celiac. Well, she had a reaction to the procedure, and it took a couple of weeks for her to get back to normal again. But when they did that procedure, the um, gastroenterologist said, there's something wrong with your daughter's eye. We're going to get you in to see an ophthalmologist right away. So, they went to the ophthalmologist a week later. They, they got in to see an ophthalmologist, and the ophthalmologist identified a tumor on the surface of the little girl's eye above the pupil. It was called a conjunctival tumor. And you see a picture of it in the research article this big, ugly, uh, mucousy looking tumor. And the diagnosis they gave for that was Kaposi sarcoma, which comes from HIV. But the mother was HIV negative. So they, well, wait a minute. So what is this? And, and so, uh, excuse me, the mother was HIV positive. The little girl's blood was HIV negative. So they'll say, wait a minute, this isn't Kaposi sarcoma. What is this? And they wanted to do biopsy. They wanted to snip out a little piece of the eye and look at it under microscope. And they told the parents, we have to put your daughter under general anesthetic. We'll do it now. We'll get it. And they said, no, 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 no. Our daughter had a reaction to the general anesthetic a week ago, and she's not quite fully recovered. Please give us a few days so she can fully recover before we do this again to her. We will come back. And so they came back a week later. The ophthalmologist was about to do, about to put her under a general, and he'd looked in her eyes, wait a minute. And he pulled out the picture he had taken the week before, and he said, This tumor is smaller. And you see the picture, the original picture, you see the picture a week later. And so he didn't do the biopsy. He said, well, let's just see what's happening here. And then you see the picture two months later, the tumor is gone, completely gone. And the only thing different they did was the day the little girl was diagnosed with celiac disease, they put her on a wheat-free diet. Nothing else. No drugs, no med, nothing. They just put her on a wheat-free diet, which completely resolved the conjunctival tumor misdiagnosed as Kaposi sarcoma. And there are hundreds of case studies like that, that if you have celiac disease, it can manifest as anything in your body, you would never suspect it. That's why with any degenerative condition you've got, whether it's cancer or an autoimmune disease diagnosis or just symptoms that nobody can figure out, you always want to check for a wheat sensitivity because it may be a wheat sensitivity that's manifesting in another tissue in the body
1: now you're you're saying wheat but i see a lot of people who say oh i'm not gonna eat wheat i'm gonna eat this handful of other grains other whole grains like spelt and kamut and all these things are they going to cause a similar problem well that's a really good question the family of wheat if you will
2: uh, of toxic gluten proteins i mean there's gluten in rice and gluten in corn but there are different families of gluten it's the gluten in wheat, rye, and barley that have been shown to be toxic to all humans. And in the family of wheat, it includes spelt, it includes kamut, it includes
1: the ancient grains. Uh, they're, they're included in there, unfortunately. So I've found that white rice is one of the least reactive ones out there. And what's your take on brown rice versus white rice for autoimmunity? Well, uh,
2: you're correct on that. And some people can eat white rice and they cannot eat brown rice without having a reaction. And those people usually have a lectin sensitivity. And it's the lectins in the rice that are causing the problem. Not always, but when people can eat white rice, but they can't eat brown rice, take a look at the lectins. Take a look at the lectins that are found in Uh, Oh, white potatoes and uh, most grains. Uh, The the family of lectins may be the category uh, sensitivity as to why someone can eat white rice, but not
1: brown rice. For all of you listening out there, the Bulletproof Diet takes into account lectin sensitivity. And lectins are protective proteins that are found on pretty much every grain and seed. And your body actually makes its own lectins inside of it. And these are basically proteins that stick to certain types of sugar. And depending on your genetic background, you may or may not be sensitive. So when you look at the Bulletproof Diet roadmap, there's a bunch of suspect foods. Those are foods that cause problems for some people, not others. Like for me, you give me bell peppers or anything from that nightshade family. I have the symptoms like sore joints and back pain that just plagued me for my life until I found out those for me are a suspect food that's guilty. But you may eat those and it turns out red peppers are full of lycopene. It's actually good for you if you don't have it. And most of these grains have a variety of compounds in them, not just lectins, uh, but some of these other inflammatory proteins or things that bind metals in the body, which is why I'm like, look, if you really wanna live a hundred plus years, you really don't want to get autoimmunity. You should minimize grains. And for things like wheat and barley, just don't eat it. It's not necessary for you to perform well. And you can make really good food with things that are far safer for almost everyone. Things like white rice. To take it out of
2: the category of uh, just don't eat it because it's a good idea not to for, for something that's so primary in people's diet as wheat, Uh, What our recommendation is, get the proper testing done. Read the instrument panel of your body. You know, look at the immune system to see, is my immune system telling me I've got a problem with this food? Uh, Because body language never lies. If your immune system is activated to protect you against a particular food, stop eating that food.
1: Now, 7 out of 10 of us have something going on with autoimmunity, And what percentage of those people do you think is caused by grain? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Grain is likely fueling
2: that inflammatory cascade and that autoimmune response. My suspicion would be certainly 60 60 to 70% of people. It's grains that are fueling it. and It may not be exclusive. There could be other foods and excess sugars and bad fats and all of that. But at least 60 to 70% of our patients... When we reduce their grain consumption, they just start feeling better right away.
1: It seems to be that way with with people across the board. Uh, even my my father in law, who's an incredibly robust seventy plus year old, you know, goes out you know moose hunting every year and, and complains that none of his friends can go with him because they're all too That's old. Right, <laughs> and. I finally got him to try the Bulletproof Diet for a little while. He says, you know, I do feel better when I don't eat, when I don't eat grain. And he tells me this while he's eating a sandwich you know, full of whole wheat bread. He's yeah, like, I like it. I like right. it. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs>
2: well, some people have the guts. Uh, they, they've got the microbiota that can handle it. Most of us don't anymore. By the way, and this is a big pearl for people, when you're giving up wheat, which is a really smart thing to do, many people can get sick months down the road after that. Uh, For example, in the largest study ever done on celiacs, now this doesn't relate just to celiacs, but here's an example of it. They looked at 39,000 celiac patients, and one of the things they found was that there's an 86% increased risk of death within one year after diagnosis in adults from cardiovascular disease. 86% increased risk of dying within a year of diagnosis of celiac compared to someone the same age, same socioeconomic class that's not diagnosed with celiac. And what's different? The only thing different is that when you're diagnosed, you go on a wheat-free diet. 86% increased risk of mortality from cardiovascular disease. What's up with that? That's because for people in the US and Canada, 70% of their prebiotics come from wheat. The foods that they're eating that feed the good bacteria in their body 70% of those foods that are feeding healthy bacteria come from wheat. Wheat, Wheat's not just completely bad for you. It's just got too many bad things that the weight is stacked against it. But there are good things in wheat, and we are dependent, most of us, on wheat consumption to feed the good bacteria in our bodies. So when you go on a wheat-free diet, you must focus on prebiotics, you must focus on replacing the arabinoxylans with other inulins. So, you know, fancy words, but just eat the prebiotics. Just go to Google and download list of
1: prebiotic foods and make sure that you eat at least two of them a day. By the way, check this out. Uh, I'm definitely aware of this research. And if you look on the back of a Bulletproof collagen bar, it's full of inulin. I think it's the number two ingredient in the bars because it's a prebiotic fiber. And this is something, for all you listening who are on you know, the, the full-on keto diet, I did essentially zero carbs for three months, you know, one serving of vegetables a day, I'll try and eat like an Eskimo, and it completely triggered food allergies I didn't have before, and it actually disrupted my sleep and all. And that's why the Bulletproof Diet, like, look, it's a cyclical ketogenic diet without toxins, because the toxins trigger inflammation and autoimmunity, and if you never feed your gut bacteria, you'll be able to measure this like, like on a, a Viome test. Uh, you can see that it jacks you up. So you've gotta be eating this. And that's why if you can find a way to get that inulin or any of these things in, you don't have to eat wheat. And I love that you're just calling this out because this is this was a problem even Critical. on paleo for a long time.
2: Critical, you know, there's, yeah. there's, there's a lot of people that are saying gluten-free diets are not good for you. Well, nonsense. Gluten-free diets are necessary for most people However, you have to know how to do a healthy gluten-free diet. So we tell all of our patients, you say, listen, here's what you do. When you go shopping, you're buying your vegetables, always get organic, critically important, get organic. But buy a couple of every root vegetable that's there. Turnips, parsnips, rutabaga, uh, Jerusalem artichokes, sweet potatoes, carrots. And every day you have a couple of root vegetables and download the list of prebiotic foods, and include other prebiotic foods like bananas in your diet, artichokes, and just make sure every day you're getting a few of the prebi- the foods that are high in prebiotics, so you can feed the good bacteria in your gut.
1: That is is probably the most important thing that we've shared in this episode so far. So if you're listening to this and you're on a keto diet, if you're not eating any carbs at all, the bacteria in your gut will not have any food. So you don't have to have insulinogenic carbs. And that's why if you look at like the carb count on one of our bars, uh, there's a gram or two of of carbs that come from cashews, which are actually natural cashew sugars. But when you look at, at those carbs, they're not insulin stimulating because the benefits of these prebiotic fibers are that when they're processed in your gut, they turn into short chain fatty acids anyway. So you're not gonna affect ketosis when you do that. And even something like sushi, which magically has cooked and cooled rice. When you cook rice and cool it, it forms a form of starch called resistant starch that feeds gut bacteria. You always see me posting on Instagram, by the way it's I think dave.asprey on Instagram if you wanna follow me. There's always pictures of me doing that and I take that and I add brain octane to it. And I do the brain octane oil because it gives me ketones even though I had the carbs. So I don't get cravings, but I fed my gut bacteria and things work really, really well for me that way.
2: Critically important. For all of your listeners who are dialing down their diets and really focusing on fine-tuning for high performance, you've got to have prebiotics. If you don't, your, your probiotics die. When they die, when the good guys die, the bad guys that are stronger and more resistant, but just minor amounts of them, they, they don't have the armies suppressing them anymore. They rear their ugly heads three, six months down the road. And here come more autoimmune mechanisms because you've got this toxic bacteria causing intestinal permeability, getting into your bloodstream and your immune system starts working overtime trying to protect you from this stuff.
1: Let's talk a little bit about intestinal permeability, which is a very exciting topic. You know, I I see it trending on Google. Oh, actually you don't. So uh, what uh, what is intestinal permeability and just walk me through how that works. Mrs. Patient, your intestines
2: are a tube. It's 20, 25 feet long. Imagine you've got a donut and you could just stretch a donut out, one big, long donut. Look down the center of that donut. That's your digestive tract, right? So when you swallow food, it's not really in your body. It's still in the tube. Now, that tube is lined on the inside with cheesecloth. So only really small molecules can get through the cheesecloth into the bloodstream. That's one of the reasons why your intestines are 20, 25 feet long, because proteins have to be digested. So now I'm going to go to proteins, and I'll come back to the tube. Think of proteins like a pearl necklace. Hydrochloric acid made in your stomach unknuds the clasp of the pearl necklace. Now you're holding a string of pearls. Your enzymes made by the pancreas and the gallbladder and the liver and the microbiota in the intestines, the enzymes act as scissors. To cut that pearl necklace, the proteins into smaller clumps of the pearl necklace, smaller clumps of amino acids, smaller and smaller, snip, 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 snip until they're down to each individual amino acid, the pearl of the pearl necklace, each individual pearl. Those individual amino acids can go right through the cheesecloth into the bloodstream. Then your body can use those amino acids as building blocks to build new muscle new brain cells, new enzymes, whatever it is you need. But they're the building blocks of your tissue. It takes a lot longer to break down the proteins in prime rib than the proteins in a banana. That's why your intestines are so long, because snip, 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 snips got to occur all the way down the intestines. But the intestines are lined with this cheesecloth. Now, intestinal permeability, the leaky gut, is when you get tears in the cheesecloth. You get tears in the cheesecloth. Now, larger clumps of the pearl necklace called macromolecules, these larger clumps get through the tears in the cheesecloth into the bloodstream before there's been enough time to snip them down into little individual pearls that go through the cheesecloth. Now they go through the tears in the cheesecloth. These macromolecules get into your bloodstream and your immune system says, what the heck is this? I better fight this. And you start making antibodies to wheat or antibodies to tomatoes or antibodies to bananas or to basil. And these are the people that do 90 food blood test panels and it comes back, they're sensitive to 25, 30 foods. And they say, oh my God, that's everything I eat. Well, of course it is. Your body's trying to protect you from this toxic crud that got in there because you got tears in the lining of your intestines. You've got uh, intestinal permeability. Fix the intestinal permeability Wait three to six months and test again. Now you'll see you're
1: sensitive to one food, maybe two. How do you fix intestinal permeability, Tom?
2: The first thing you have to do is identify why do you have intestinal permeability? And what's missed by so many of our healthcare practitioners is that the environment of the intestines, the microbiota has developed over years of abuse to be a microbiota that's inflammatory. And the microbiota itself can cause tears in the intestines and, the, and cause the leaky gut. But our foods can cause the leaky gut. We, Holland, H-O-L-L-O-N, just Google Holland and his team at Harvard. Uh, he published a paper in 2014, it's free online, it's on my website also, that every single person, they, they looked at celiacs, they looked at celiacs in remission, meaning they'd been on a gluten-free diet for at least two years, so recently diagnosed celiacs, or those on a diet for two years those with a sensitivity to wheat that did not have celiac disease, and those that did not demonstrate any problems with wheat whatsoever. They looked at all four groups. Where did they find? When they eat wheat, every single person gets tears in the cheesecloth. They get intestinal permeability every time. And they said all humans have this reaction. So anyone that's listening to this podcast, if you are human, you get tears in the cheesecloth every time you eat wheat. Now the fastest growing cells in the body are the inside lining of the gut. So you heal every three to five days. So you have toast for breakfast. You tear the lining, it heals. You have a sandwich for lunch. You tear the lining, it heals. Pasta for dinner, you tear the lining, it heals. Day after week, after month, after year, until one day you don't heal anymore. You cross the line.
1: When that happens, now you've got intestinal permeability. This is why uh, those diets where you have a cheat day uh, once a week, they're just a bad idea. And I... Oh my god! Yeah, I first tried that yeah. like in about 1996, 97. Uh, the first guy to talk about cheat days was from the bodybuilding community, and I sort of cleaned up parts of my diet. I hadn't figured out what I know now, and I was like, "All right, I'm going to do this thing." You know, every Friday night, I'm going to have you know cheesecake and and a you know half beer and pizza, yeah, <laughs> half a loaf of bread, and just love it. And the rest of the time would yeah. be you know, really good, low carb, and avoid gluten and all. And what I found was that it took me four to five days, just like you're saying, before I was like, okay, I'm done with cravings. My brain fog is there. I can I can stay focused all day. And of course, five days later, like, oh, great. Thursday is pretty good. Friday is pretty good. You do it again Friday night. So no, on a cheat day, you, do, you still do eat wheat. You don't eat gluten. You don't do that kind of stuff. You might have some sugar, which still isn't good for your gut bacteria, but it's nothing compared to these whole grain toxins. And right. I, I, this and, has to be said.
2: Ch- cheat days... Cheat days are very healthy for the emotional side of health. You know, it's very healthy to have a break, you know, to just rest and congratulate yourself that you're doing really well. So you find the least toxic, you know, the things that your immune system don't say are a problem. So a little bit of sweet, maybe not a problem, you know, but certainly not wheat, because when you're exposed to wheat, so let's say you, you, you do the right type of blood test. It comes back and shows you, you got a problem to wheat. So now you go wheat-free for six months. You do the blood test again. It comes back. You don't have a problem anymore. Now you think, well, can I have wheat? And the answer is no, you can't because it's it's there's something called memory B cells. Just like when you get a vaccination for measles, they give you a shot of the bug measles and you make antibodies to fight measles. Well, once all those measles bugs have been destroyed that were in the shot they gave you, the production of measles antibodies calms down. You don't make measles antibodies. So that if you do a blood test today to see if you have measles antibodies, you shouldn't have any at all unless you've been exposed. But if you're ever exposed again, there is now what's I call general measles. This memory B cell is produced to measles and his job for the rest of his life, if you're ever exposed to measles, he just has to flip the switch To turn on the assembly line to make the antibodies to measles. He doesn't have to build the assembly line again. That's why if you go to Africa, you need vaccinations months and months ahead of time for yellow fever and dengue fever, all these weird diseases. But if you go back 15 years later, you just need a booster shot two weeks before you go. You just have to wake up general yellow fever. General yellow fever is called a memory V-cell. You have elevated antibodies to wheat, you now have memory B cells to wheat. They never go away. So if you clean up your diet six months later, you see that, oh, look, the antibodies are all gone. I can have wheat now. No, you can't. But you know, say this to patients all the time, if you want to try, go ahead. You'll see. And we'll do the blood test again in a month, and you'll see the antibodies come back again. And then if your weak link in the chain is your brain, you start attacking your brain again from these wheat antibodies. So when people do that, not not many people will go through it three times like the blood test. They'll just say, OK, OK. And then they'll abide by it because they know they feel worse when they do it. But those that do it, I've never seen anyone able to eat wheat again. I've never seen it when we do the blood test that the the instrument panel of your body, your immune system says, we got a problem here. It pops
1: right back up again. What's particularly nefarious about this is that when you're feeling really good like that, like I'm feeling good. I can have wheat again. You know, I I like to eat my pizza that doesn't have gluten-free crust. Right, So then you go out and you do it and you don't feel bad right away. Exactly. You might get cravings right away from the something called gluteomorphins where when you metabolize it, it makes like a morphine-like compound, so you crave it. But then it's like a month later, like, oh, you know what? I've got these love handles I didn't have before and my brain isn't quite as sharp, but it's a slow decline. But if you're looking at your blood work, that first meal is going to be triggering that inflammation, but it takes a while for the inflammation to like soak in throughout your tissues.
2: That's exactly right, Dave. Exactly, And that's the prodromal period that I talked about earlier, when you've got elevated antibodies, but you don't have the symptoms yet. So you go back and eat the food again, you develop the antibodies to the food, they get turned on right away, but it takes about a month before that you, you can measure the elevated levels, three weeks to a month. But that mechanism turns right back on And then if your genetics say that your brain's vulnerable, that's where the antibodies will start being produced to your brain. That's the prodromal period. And you go right back to producing lesions in the brain. And here comes the MS again for those people that had reversed their MS. That's what you see in betrayal. You know, you see people just testifying to this and what their experience has been. And they get it now. You know, it's kind of like they read from the book, the true book of life. If uh, I've never thought of it this way, you know. But if you want to know the book of life to live a long life, ask your body.
1: Learn how to read the instrument panel of your body, your immune system. Yeah, it's it's pretty important. And you're talking about some testing there. But I've got one more question about this trigger for gluten. When I was looking at uh, doing my documentary on toxic mold called Moldy Movie, and if if people are interested, moldymovie.com. And I I went around. I found several studies that show that if you're exposed to a water-damaged building, one that has toxic mold growing in the walls, and this is something that probably 100 million people in the U.S. are having specific health problems with right now, and somewhere between 60 and 80% of buildings have some water damage from condensation in the U.S. right now, according to the people I interviewed. But some species of toxic mold have the same protein on them that's on gluten. So even if you're not exposed to gluten, if you're exposed to – basically breathing the stuff in a building, it can trigger that same antibody reaction in uh, in you. And What do you think about environmental toxins that you breathe from these, these molds that don't belong in our houses as being a trigger even for original gluten sensitivity or casein sensitivity? Well,
2: that's an extremely sophisticated question, Dave. And uh, just yesterday, I had a consultation with a patient with MS who is in a wheelchair and can't speak, that it's that far advanced. And she's been squeaky clean, swear, has been squeaky clean, no cheat days with wheat for three years now, two or three years. I think it was three years. And yet her test just came back, sky-high antibodies to wheat. Where's the trigger coming from? And top of the list is, have you ever checked your house for mold? (laughs) And do you, uh, Mrs. Patient, if you go out, if you go out for a week or two weeks on vacation or something and you come back, do you have to open the windows to air the house out? Well, yeah. You got mold in the house.
1: Yep. You know, and, and have your house tested. So, Tom, I, I started a company about three years ago called Home Biotic. It makes a probiotic you spray around your house that eats uh, toxic mold. It's, it's a, a bunch of different soil bacteria whose job it is to keep mold away in soil. And we just got our test results back three weeks ago from a third-party lab and they showed that even after if, if they sprayed drywall with this stuff even after 2 weeks in a 96% humidity environment at you know 100 degrees Fahrenheit you know a, a really warm moist environment that would cause any drywall to sprout with toxic mold uh, that th- there was 100% protection against it and even wow. and after a month there was 80% protection but the unprotected drywall was basically half destroyed after a couple weeks and wow. like for me, I, I really inoculate my environment in my house, in my car, and places like that, because this is a trigger that's as important as what you eat. If you're breathing something that pisses off your immune system, you get inflammation. If you're eating something that pisses off your immune system, you get inflammation. So you have to look at your entire environment like that. And I kind of feel for people who are saying, "Well, I'm doing so much in my diet," and they go home and like, but your ceiling tiles are all stained and that's as important as what's on your fork. And, and it's, it's that complexity that I think is m- really messing up a lot of science where they're trying to boil this down to a single variable. But it, yeah. it's that old story. And you've got a thumbtack and three of your fingers. Well, I took it out of my little finger. No, that wasn't it. So you put it back and you took out the next one. You got to do all of them at once. Uh, what are the other things though that might be autoimmune triggers that people don't think about?
2: Two comments I, I want to make on what you just said. Uh, in functional medicine, it's called the tax rule. You know, you sit down on two tacks, it hurts a lot. Take one tack out, sit down again, you don't reduce the pain by 50%. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Right? Um, And this thing about mold, it's critically important. We know that one of the five types of Alzheimer's is called inhalation Alzheimer's. And Dr. Dale Bredesen, the guy who's on the front line with the research on this now, says that he estimates up to 60% of Alzheimer's patients actually have Inhalation Alzheimer's, that that's the trigger that yep. set off the inflammation in the brain. It's a critically under recognized component. So what you're talking about with homebiotics, I wasn't aware of this, and this is that's a really important field that we all should be looking at. So thanks for that.
1: Uh, you're welcome, Tom. So the
2: the trigger is uh, for autoimmunity, number one, food, number two, what you inhale, number three is bacteria lipopolysaccharides. Lipopolysaccharides, or LPS, is such a huge topic that very few are talking about. Uh, This bacteria in our gut, the exhaust from the bacteria in our gut is called LPS. And if you want to know how bad LPS is, the most common cause of death in the US, I believe it's still the most common, is called sepsis. Sepsis, most of our elderly that die of disease die of sepsis, meaning their bodies are just full of toxic bacteria. They've done many rounds. It's over 225,000 people a year that die of sepsis in the U.S. It's just LPS bacteria that has uh, accumulated over the years inside the tissue from a leaky gut. Leaky gut, this LPS gets in there and it accumulates in your spleen and your liver and your lungs and your brain and your immune systems trying to fight it and the collateral damage from that and the the molecular mimicry as you described with mold uh, from that uh, uh, triggers more inflammation, more tissue destruction. So it's critically important. The three things that I think are most important um, to address um, on this particular topic is what's on the end of your fork, what's going up your nostrils, and what's in your gut, you attack those three, you spend three months, four months, six months focusing on dialing down on this, learning those three categories and what works for your body and what doesn't, you will help enhance years and years more of quality life for you, for yourself.
1: I I love those three pillars. And if you only do two of the three, you don't have a stool that'll stand up on its own. Uh, Do you see what I did there? Stool. Yes, Sorry, I did. Since yeah. we're talking about that was tests. cute. That I, was cute. I, I caught it. I, I only caught it after <laughs> I said it. I'm like, oh man, that was bad. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> the the thing about LPS in the gut is so critically important, and I've been doing a lot of work lately with Viome, uh, yes. which which is a really interesting way of looking at your gut. And I got my my test results back, and um, I've had 15 years of taking antibiotics every month because of just chronic strep throat and sinusitis as a as a child as a teenager funny those are symptoms of living in a water damaged building it turns out I was in a basement that had been flooded and not cleaned up properly because we didn't know that in the 70s and 80s so I had all these yeah. symptoms of it so I was getting my immune system just whacked repeatedly and then whacking my gut so those are like two of the the three pillars there and of course I was eating lots of, of gluten and wheat so I, I had done all three of them wrong and LPS is uh, is a major part of this and what they found in the Viome test was that, I, that basically my gut bacteria showed a, a heavy insult but that it was recovering because of the way that I eat but I still do have some LPS forming bacteria and we all do uh, in our guts but that uh, basically mine were being kept in check because I'm on a high polyphenol diet. These are these plant compounds uh, that you get when you eat the brightly colored vegetables and herbs, spices, coffee, tea, chocolate, uh, things like that. And, and so even though there were some species there that, that they were basically being pushed down, but that I, I, I still had room for improvement. But one of the things I found on my own path here when I learned about the science of this when I was writing the Bulletproof Diet are there's these two compounds that are protective for LPS. One of them has been known for 5,000 or more years. It's called activated charcoal. And of course, yeah, Bulletproof makes one of these. It binds to LPS in the gut. So if you have these bacteria making this stuff, you can actually make it stick to something that you eat, so it'll stick to that instead of sticking to you. And that seems like a good protective strategy uh, for toxin binding, and and that's something that I do. What's your take on charcoal as as a potential LPS binder?
2: It's one of the recommendations for all autoimmune patients is to take charcoal in the evening um, a few hours. Um, so certainly, don't don't eat before you go to bed. Uh, there should be three, four hours that you're not eating. But then take charcoal. Charcoal acts like a big sponge, just to suck up whatever LPS it can uh, in your gut. Uh,
1: now, seven out of ten people have autoimmunity. It, it seems like this is a really important thing. It's not, <laughs> not even right. it's not even an expensive kind of supplement, and it's not no, you it's eat the, cheap. It's not the briquette side of your grill. Uh, You make activated charcoal by uh, taking a a clean source, uh, we use like coconut shells, but then you you basically light it on fire and then put it out by taking away oxygen so you have lots of, of surface area on it. So that's one. The other thing is that if you're on a high fat diet, hey listen up, if you're all keto all the time, you're on a high fat diet, fat escorts lps across the gut most effectively especially things like lauric acid which is the the cheapest and most abundant mct in coconut oil the one that we don't put in brain octane that stuff as well as any of the other longer chain fats will pick up these molecules and bring them across the gut but there are some types of fat including the stuff that we use in brain octane that are shown in studies to help the liver be protected from the impact of lps on it so like there's a reason that's in there with the butter in bulletproof coffee because you want to be able to have some protective stuff in there
2: you know dave i i just want to give you kudos on this and uh, you didn't know i was going to say this but you you may remember it was five or six years ago that i said dave you can't use palm oil man in you know in your octane because palm oil enhances lipid raft transcytosis which is this, these LPS being carried into the bloodstream right through the cells. You do not need a leaky gut. High-fat diets have the potential of doing that, and palm oil is one of those. And you, to your credit, you got palm oil out of there, and yeah, you did.
1: It, it was That was more of an environmental decision. Uh, almost all MCT oil on the market uses palm as a source oil, but I think the study, uh, Tom, was around palmitic acid. And uh, basically, when you use palm oil as a source to make— uh, something like brain octane, you're basically breaking the the fatty acids off of it. So there there would be no palmitic acid in an MCT oil made out of palm oil. Unfortunately, though, you're still basically causing habitat destruction and things like that. So that was what drove that decision there, because as long as you're getting the right molecules, the right lengths of fat, you shouldn't be seeing the symptoms from that study. Uh, but I, yeah. I do I do see people out there saying, oh, you know, let me let me make like a, a fat coffee kind of thing. And they're saying, oh, I'll put some palm oil in there because it has some vitamin or whatever. And I just don't think you want to be putting palm oil in your body uh, for those reasons. Uh, and if you do, you mm-hmm. want to make sure that you're getting enough fiber and all that. It's not like you have to be on a, on a zero-fat diet. I, I, that's That's a bad idea. But if you're eating a lot of palm oil, it's probably not a good choice. I fully agree. You know, I think we're going to find in the next
2: couple of years that a lot more people are going to be talking about LPS and the high levels of LPS. Most doctors aren't really checking for it very much. But as they start seeing the, the contribution it makes to degenerative diseases, to autoimmune diseases, then we start checking for it more often. We're going to find that it's, it's, it's pandemic and that high-fat diets have that potential. So anyone that you know, wants to be on a ketogenic diet, you just want to check. And C, do you have elevated levels of LPS in your bloodstream? If you do, you want to take preventive measures so that you're not toxifying uh, your structure, your internal structure, by having too much LPS in there.
1: This is, is one of those things that, that's fundamental to performing really well. Because what are the symptoms? Like, like what are you going to feel like the day after you have a spike in LPS? Oh, my goodness. It, it, it depends on where it's accumulating.
2: Uh, it could be in your heart, and you're short of breath. You know, if your heart muscle is uh, is inflamed and not functioning properly. Most commonly, I think, uh, just in my clinical experience, most common is uh, brain, and people just have stinking thinking. You know, they just
1: exactly.
2: You know they 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 just know that they're not on their game. They 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 don't feel up. They don't feel um, uh, uh, engaged. That they really have to rev it up to give their
1: best because they're feeling toxic they just feel toxic it's actually measurable like your iq drops when your lps levels go up yeah it, iq varies very substantially on a day-by-day basis uh, just based on what's going on biologically and and if people don't believe me like try and do anything functional say the the morning after a bender you know you got you drink a lot the next morning like well i just feel like crap my brain doesn't work well Okay, if that can happen, maybe you can just have twenty percent of that on the average day. And when I was interviewing uh, Dr. Daniel Amen, um, who's you know change your brain, change your life, uh, Amen Clinics. Same thing. Uh, In fact, it was, I think, in Moldy, the quote was like, You can lose 15 IQ points from toxin exposure, just like that. You can add that back in by removing the toxins, eating the right foods. And then there's other brain training and brain enhancing and nootropics and things like that. But so if you're listening to the show right now and you're going, What does that have to do with me? Look, Even if you're relatively healthy, if you do stuff that causes LPS to spike because your gut bacteria is wrong, you can have a brain that's functioning 10% less than you're capable of tomorrow based on what you put on your plate today.
2: Yes. Yes, exactly right. Exactly right. You know, on those days when you feel on and you're just sharp and everything's great and you see the world with clear eyes, why don't we feel that way every day? It's, It's because what you're putting in your body is having an effect on how your brain and nervous system is registering and responding to the environment you're in.
1: That's what affects your day-to-day performance more than anything else. I mean, You gotta get good sleep and things like that. But I, I have a deeper, maybe more personal question for you, Tom. You talk about in your book how you can eliminate trigger foods and things that you're basically allergic to and fix your gut and then you can reintroduce those trigger foods. I don't mean things like wheat or something like that, but a lot of people have this leaky gut problem going on. They're allergic to everything they eat. And let me tell you what happened um, with me and I wanna get your advice on this. When I was doing uh, research that led up to writing the Bulletproof Diet, I wanted to uh, sort of test this Eskimo style diet. So I went for uh, three months with one serving of veggies a day And I ate lots of fat and some protein and was really careful about it and and had all the problems I mentioned earlier on the show. But one of the food allergies that I got from that that I did not have before uh, was eggs. And eggs are like something that are a super healthy food for you if you could tolerate them. And so I I eliminated eggs from my diet, I fixed my leaky gut, and and I'd say I'm probably 70% less sensitive to eggs than I was, but I wanna eat more eggs. And Just because the egg yolks are so full of phospholipids, they're good for you. But I haven't fully eliminated that. So what do you tell to people who have developed a food allergy they didn't used to have? They fix their gut. They eliminate it for six months. What are the other tricks for giving yourself, uh, basically undoing the damage you might have done with a high-fat, zero-carb diet? Yeah, yeah, good question. And uh, in in my experience, there's one answer, and
2: only one answer that I know of that looks long-term, you know, with, with the vision, of uh, health and vitality for many, many years to come. And that answer is rebuild a healthier microbiome. It's the only way that I know of to be exposed again and not have an inflammatory response. That um, using the panel such as biomes panel of evaluation to see what's my current state and how do I get to where I wanna go in terms of my microbiome? How do I get there? Uh, So first, where is it? What's the deficits? What are the things that are way out of balance? And then how do I get to where I want to go? And apply the principles and then recheck. Six months later, you recheck. So it might take a year to two years uh, to rebuild the microbiome that would allow you to have eggs again. Uh, but for some people, if that's a genetic vulnerability, like wheat, there's no question on wheat, uh, it, memory B cells. Now, and if you talk to immunologists, anytime you have elevated antibodies to foods, if you have elevated antibodies, you're gonna have a memory B cell to that food. So, but only immunologists talk about that. Gastroenterologists don't talk about that. Um, internal medicine docs don't talk about that. So they think, well, you can have a little once in a while depending on how you feel. But immunologists say, absolutely not, because you trigger this whole prodromal period to come right back again. So the only way I know around that and it has to be confirmed by repeat checking of your immune system's uh, uh, monitoring. Uh, the only way I know around that is to rebuild a stronger, healthier microbiome.
1: I would say I'm definitely pretty far along on that front, and I've got some, some tweaks I'm playing with right now, and I'm, I'm planning to write a post on how I reversed my egg allergy, because I'm, I'm mostly there, but there's probably some hacks to be done around uh, changing or just digesting or removing memory B-cells from the body or otherwise engaging them. And this is sort of where functional medicine gets to be really interesting where, as biohackers, we wanna have control of our own biology. And if my body is inappropriately targeting molecules that it doesn't need to for my long-term health and safety, there is a control mechanism, a reprogramming mechanism in there, and we will find it. and. This is pretty cool because if you're listening to this and you're saying, well, I can't eat this food, maybe you have a genetic reason, like with lectins from nightshades or grains or something where your people didn't eat it. You are not going to eat that. You'll never thrive on that. Right. And who knows? Maybe that's hackable. But for the rest of the stuff, if you're fine on it, you got exposed like I did. It was you know not just to that that diet, but also you get exposed to some mold at the same time. Mm. All of a sudden, literally from one day to the next, you can't eat stuff anymore, we are going to get on top of that. We're going to be able to, whether it's an injection or some other kind of thing, we're going to own all of that over the next five to 10 years. Because, Tom, when you talk about this stuff, when you write it in your book, it comes out. And now all of a sudden, it's it's in our, our public discussion. And then the functional medicine guys, the immunologists, we're all going to be working on this stuff and saying, all right, there's a huge market for this. And we will get to the point, not so far away, where we're going to be able to say whether it's a capsule, a pill, a lifestyle thing. Who knows? You might you know, run an electrical current. But we're going to get there. And I'm incredibly stoked because we're about to understand why now that we understand what. And you're really doing a great job of, of spreading the word about what's going on. And then we can fix it.
2: Well, that's really exciting, Dave. It really is. There, there's a lot of research right now in the world of celiac disease and wheat sensitivity. Lots of different teams are working on uh, pills or enzymes or uh, uh, genetic modifications, that they're trying a number of different approaches to see how can we help people eat wheat without triggering this immune response. And, you know, the key, of course, is going to be a reprogramming. Uh, and it seems to me that reprogramming has to be comprehensive so that you can't expect to reprogram to eat wheat and then go around eat sliders every day, you know, or drink a six-pack. Uh, that that uh, it really is... Reprogramming for higher function and allowing to eat certain foods that you currently can't eat, I, in my limited experience, I think, demands that you are living a high-performance life in terms of taking care of your machine. If you treat your body like a Lamborghini, it's going to run like a Lamborghini. If you treat your body like a rambler and expect it to run like a Lamborghini,
1: you're going to be in trouble. And that's a, an apt analogy. I can tell you that if I was running, you know, uh, General Mills or, or Coke or Pepsi or you know, one of the companies that that has highly affordable, highly palatable food that's sold on a mass scale, I'd be putting my R and D department looking at gut bacteria that can properly metabolize the types of food they eat because I would actually love it. If I could just go out there and eat complete and just crappy junk food, and I had like super engineered microbes in my stomach that would just turn it into like, you know, DHA and EPA and all the right building blocks. And we might actually be able to do that someday. I love
2: sliders. You know, I love sliders. I I dream of sliders that I grew up on, you know, and Big Macs. And yeah, I I agree. It, it, It would be marvelous to have a microbiome that can
1: say, all right, bring it on. I'm ready for it. So so may, maybe that's the direction. So if, if you're heading R&D at one of these big companies, and I know there are a few R&D people listening to the show, like go out there and make us some microbes that can completely eat the worst junk food and just completely like break it down and make us feel great. Because I will take that probiotic every day for the rest of my life. And then I could just like eat whatever was in front of me whenever I wanted to and not get fat and not get in, inflamed and not feel crappy. So like that's actually where I think we're going to get the world to the point where we take care of the world around us. It takes care of us yes. and we still have control of our own biology. And that's, that's like the most epic future I could think of. Not where we get to just pig out on junk food all the time, but where our resilience as a species just goes up because we start paying attention to what's going on in our guts. Yes. Amen to that, Dave. Amen to that. All right, Tom, where can people find out more about your book?
2: Uh, the dr.com, the doctor.com. Um, and the books on the homepage and it, 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 links you to Amazon, but there's some downloads you get, uh, if you go through there, and of course you can go right to Amazon for it. It's called the autoimmune fix. I'm very proud of it. I think it gives a big picture overview and, uh, people then understand much more about what's the path in front of them to develop higher performance.
1: Well, well, thanks for that. And I know also, you are. Uh, you gave a, a special URL, which is basically a, a gift for people listening today. If they want to watch your documentary about autoimmunity, that contains a lot more detail with uh, just about what we talked about today, and also features some of the other people who've also been on Bulletproof Radio, guys like Mark Hyman and all. It's at thedr.com dot slash bulletproof, and um, that's what nine episodes of the docu series is. That the whole thing. I I actually didn't see this URL till right now. Yes, it okay. is. Yeah. Oh, thanks for thanks for letting everyone see that. Um, if you're, uh, if you enjoyed this episode and you just realized, oh wait, there's, even if I don't have autoimmunity that I know of right now, if you flip a coin, the odds are very high that you've got at least one of the many different types of autoimmunity starting somewhere in your body. You want to get on top of that. You know, if you're in, in your 20s, heck, you're in college and you notice this, your grades can go up if you turn down inflammation, your resilience goes up, you look better, you feel better. And just understanding what's going on with this uh, when you're young prevents you from feeling like absolute crap when you're 45 or 50 or 100. And, and that's the, the game that we're playing now and maybe even beyond 100. Because if you're 20 now and you look at what would have happened you know, 100 years ago to a 20-year-old, the whole world is different. You have the potential to live 100 plus or maybe even 200 years if you take care of what's going on right now. And that's why I think it would be useful to read Tom's book, uh, look at Betrayal. It's the slash Bulletproof. And just take care of, of the hardware you've got, and it'll serve you very well. This is something that I didn't know uh, when I was young. Uh, I didn't know how to do it, didn't know how important it was. And if I'd have known the stuff that I know now when I was 20, man, my life would have been very, very different with a lot, a lot less work in it. And so that's one of the things that drives me to do Bulletproof. And, and thanks, Tom, for your work as well.
2: Oh, thank you, Dave. It's really a pleasure. Really a pleasure. It's an honor to um, do this work and uh, follow the passion. Uh, And I wish for everyone that they have the fuel, the internal fuel in their brain and their bodies to follow their own passion to make this world a better place.
1: Very well said. Normally I'd ask you what are your top three recommendations for people who want to perform better, but you already answered it when you were on Bulletproof Radio last time, so we're not going to do it this time. Uh, Thanks again for being (laughs) on Bulletproof Radio, Tom. Have an awesome day. Thanks. If you liked today's episode, you know what to do. Head on over to bulletproof.com slash iTunes and leave a review. It turns out that I spend a huge amount of time doing Bulletproof Radio for you. As you know, I'm running Bulletproof, which is uh, getting to be uh, a rapidly growing company. We're national at Whole Foods with ready to drink cold brew and the team's growing. And I have committed to my team and to you guys, I'm going to keep doing two episodes of Bulletproof Radio every week because I think this is one of the most important uh, platforms out there just for sharing new information like you learned today and just for helping you understand what you can do uh, for yourself in order to feel better and perform better now. Uh, And one of the things that tells me I'm doing a good job or not doing a good job is reviews. So Bulletproof.com slash iTunes was just a link that takes you straight to the Apple site where you can uh, tell me whether I'm doing a good job and whether this is helpful for you. So I'd be really grateful if you'd uh, just take a minute out of your day and do that. Thank you.
2: Dave, may I comment on that? Absolutely. So listen, everyone, uh, this guy is um, he's got a great company and all that, but he's doing this twice a week while running a huge company to carry the information out to all of us. And my opinion, we all need to pay it forward a little bit, do something nice out in the world without any reward for it to make the world a better place. So if Dave's asking for a comments, please give him the comments so that he can make this even better. So thanks so much. Hey, thanks, yeah. Tom.